You are listening to the Kensington Church Podcast, recorded live in Michigan. To learn more about Kensington, visit kensingtonchurch.org. Good morning. How's everybody doing? So I need you to raise your hand if you were the I love snow person. Okay, you're my friends. Everybody else is going to be offended. I woke up this morning and the snow is the best thing in the world. I was like, yes. So uh, I know it's going to melt, but... um, yeah, I hope you drove safe and I uh, hope you drive safe, but I hope you're just able to, to soak it in. Uh, it's good to be with you this morning. I just want to say welcome to this place, welcome to this room, uh, to this community. We believe that church is so much more than just a service or a gathering. It's a community of, of Christ followers, and so thank you for being here. If you're watching online, just want to say thank you uh, wherever you're watching from. Uh, you're part of this community, this family, and so thanks for joining us. Um, one of the things that we do every year is toward the end of the year, around the holiday season, and we're in the holiday season, um, is we start showing these, we call them year-end uh, videos. And we show these videos, they're stories of things that happen in and among our church. Uh, sometimes we get to tell our story. This, this year we get to tell our, one of our stories uh, that's happening here in Traverse City, and I think it's next week or the week after. Um, and I'll tell you why this is important. It's because we can get so caught up in, in our day-to-day, in what's happening around us, in our, in our bubble, in our own little universe, that we miss out. We often um, don't see what God is up to on a bigger scale. And so we come up with these videos. We hear these stories happening among our communities, and we put together some videos to try to share these stories. If you serve, if you give, if you support this church, this mission, this movement in any way, you are a part of these stories Um, God is working in and through all of us uh, for stuff like this to happen. And so for the next six weeks, we're going to show some of these. And uh, so today we're going to show a story of uh, Matt and Emily Hines. And um, it's a a story of uh, heartache, uh, but it's also a story of how God has worked in the midst of all of that. So uh, just for the next few minutes, check this out. Well, hello, Kensington, and hello, Sam. Hey. We're excited to come to you we are. Uh, right before Thanksgiving, actually. I know. Although, you can see we got yeah. the Christmas vibe going so, already. So here's my question for you. Do you give Thanksgiving its proper due, or do you go from Halloween oh, straight no, no, to no. Christmas? I'm a total Thanksgiving guy. I love to take the time to get family around the table, Absolutely. enjoy a good meal. Absolutely. Uh, That's watch, our house, too. Watch the Lions lose. You know? I mean, it's tragic, but yes, yeah. yes, it happens. So mm-hmm. anyhow, we're, uh, we're excited to share with you today a story right from our own community here. Um, You know, church is so much more than what we do on Sundays. It's easy to define it about the weekend gatherings, but the reality is that the actual work of the body of Christ is found in seven days a week as we just do life together. It's true, and all of that stuff is made possible. Our our care ministries, all the things that we have going on here at Kensington, whether it be local or regional or global, is only made possible because of your generosity, your consistent partnership on mission, and we just want to thank you guys for that. And so right now, we want to introduce you to Matt and Emily, who were able to access the resources that we provided through our care ministries to walk with them through a challenging time in life. Sammy was our son. He was a joy to be around all the time. He was very animated. He was a goofball, for sure. Very verbal from a super young age. He was into just kind of a bunch of different ventriloquism and all these Mm -hmm. things that... Music. Just... Cool music, too. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. He wasn't into, like, kid stuff. He was into, like... Nirvana. (laughs) I would 
play and he would sing with me and we'd, we'd have a lot of fun with that. He just really loved life. In 2019, um, in July, he died unexpectedly. Um, it was a traumatic event for our family, um, and they thought they'd be able to get him back, but um, they never were able to, so, yeah. It was very sudden, um, very unexpected, and we were in shock at that time. Yeah. Didn't know where to go. I remember my first night laying in bed. I just remember feeling like and envisioning myself running to God. Like, I knew that's what I needed to do in this moment, is to just let him embrace me and get me through this. I was lying in bed kind of between uh, consciousness and sleep, and I just saw something um, with my eyes closed that I couldn't really understand at the time, but there was a feeling of kind of serenity and just, I saw a man in a robe leading a little boy up to the gates of heaven was my interpretation of it. But the color and the feeling was not nothing, it wasn't like anything I, I've ever experienced. So, um, and I think in that moment I needed that. Thankfully, my mom and my brother were there to support us through that. Um, you just, you get up and you go through the motions, you know, you, you don't, I a lot of crying. Yeah. A lot of crying. You just can't stop yeah. crying. You're in shock too, so there's this flow between bawling and numbness. It's, it's hard to explain. It's just yeah. complete shock and sorrow. Like I've never felt before. I wouldn't. I wouldn't, yeah. I wouldn't wish it on anybody. It's more than emotional pain, it's physical pain as well. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Like in your heart, you can feel it in your soul. Mm -hmm. From the very beginning, Matt and I decided we need, we're going to get through this. We are going to rely on God. We are going to look for resources for ourselves and our family. As soon as we heard about Grief Share, you know, we of course looked it up and emailed and found out when the next session was. And we knew we needed something faith based to get us through this. For me, walking into Grief Share the first time, I was so thankful for Renee. She was exactly who I needed to see, she was very welcoming. Um, she also has lost a child, and I remember when she embraced me and greeted me thinking, wow, if she's up there doing this and helping other people, then maybe we can too. Maybe there is hope in this. Maybe I won't feel like this for the rest of my life. Each week you watch a video, there's a workbook that you do during the week. And that really helped me think through and use some scripture to kind of guide me through my grief. Through the progressing weeks, you see laughter, you see camaraderie at each small group, and you see bonds being formed. I think Grief Share is a great tool for teaching you how to walk with the pain and still walk with Jesus in the pain. Staying close to God in that moment, in those weeks right after grief, it's hard to do. But Grief Share keeps you in the word, 
it keeps you with in community with other Christians or with other people that are coming to Christ through Grief Share. It was June or something, and I think Renee just reached out to me and asked, you know, maybe this is something you might want to do. But I wasn't sure about it, and I had kind of prayed on it. And I remember walking outside around that time, and in our our garden, there was a bright blue feather kind of stuck upright into one of them, which was, Sammy used to like to collect feathers, <laughs> feathers and rocks and stuff. Um, so I took that as a sign that, yeah, maybe I, this is something <laughs> I should go ahead and do, and, and it's been a really great honor. I, mm -hmm. I really enjoy it. I'm simply there to provide my perspective, what my experiences through grief, and to kind of point people towards Christ. And it's been a real reward to see some people kind of, oh, well, I'm going to church now. Some people start going to Kensington as a result of it. And it's awesome to see kind of spiritual growth in people who maybe haven't considered that before. We have we have his picture up. So yeah. Lucy's also Lucy also familiar, talks you know, about him. Like, Sammy, yeah. she knows his name and knows yeah. what he looks like. And, and Charlie, he wants to feel close to his brother still a lot. So he'll have you know he gets into some some old costumes that Sammy had, and he'll always be like, "Did Sammy like Darth Maul?" Like, yeah, Sammy liked Darth Maul. <laughs> so he'll you know I think it spearheads kind of some of his interests. I think God has shown me that I need him <laughs> to get through this. Um, also, how strong our family is to get through this. He's still here for us. Even in the darkest time of our life, he never left. He was always there for us. Yeah. And he's shown us how we can use our pain to help other people. It's impossible to walk the earth for any number of years without experiencing a lot of pain. But we can rely on Jesus because he has overcome this world. heavy, huh? It's heavy, but it's also hopeful. And I think this video gives us a, just a glimpse of what ministry is really like sometimes. Um, as a community, like so many of us, we go through ups and downs, each and every one of us. And one of the reasons why we have grief share, we, we do groups or Bible studies or things through the week is we want to develop places of community for people, places of belonging where we can help people when they're going through tough times, and we can allow them to help us when we're going through tough times. This is part of the mission of our church is to cultivate a place of community where, where we can partner with Jesus in the healing process of whatever that looks like in our lives, but also one another, where we help one another navigate these things. You know, we get together as a group on a Sunday morning like this, and one of the things, the core beliefs that we hold to is that God is good that he is with us no matter what we have going on in our life, no matter what season we're in, we believe this, even if it doesn't feel like it. Um, sometimes I'm going to be the one reminding you that God is good. And I'm going to be telling you, and maybe you're going to be in a place where you just need to hear that. 
uh, sometimes I'm going to be in a position where I need you to tell me that God is good. And we go back and forth in this. We're part of a community where we just continually remind us ourselves, like, man, whatever we have going on in our life, God is good. And so before we go on this morning, I just asked Bryce and Nikki to lead us and remind us of the goodness of God just one more time, just getting this in our, in our hearts before we move on this morning. So if you would. darkest night I am held in your hands I've known you as a father known you as a friend and I have lived in the goodness of God all my life you have been faithful guys for that reminder. Thanks, Andrew. It's such a good reminder, isn't it? So many of us are in just different places, different journeys. You know, um, talking about the goodness of God, one of the you know, things that we believe around here is that God's goodness is perfectly revealed to us in Jesus Christ. And when we wonder about who God is and what God is and, and all these things, we just believe like Jesus is the perfect revelation of God. His, his life, his ministry, his death, his resurrection, like everything that Jesus is and did displays who God is to us. It, it, it reveals God's heart to us. And so we, 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 we believe it's so important to read the Gospels. To get a glimpse of this, that the Gospels would become kind of a lens through which we would see the world around us. Um, and so recently we're doing a series uh, and, and we're talking about God's goodness today in a very particular way. But we're doing a series called Table Talks. And what we're looking at is where tables kind of emerge in Jesus' ministry and what, what these tables mean. And uh, so last week... You remember what we talked about last week? Last week, what table was it? Come on now. 
What was it? Messy table. Well, one person. I'm going to have to do a better job. We talked about messy table last week. We talked about this day and age when the Pharisees, the religious rulers of the day, they prided themselves on um, like this display of their own purity and righteousness and holiness to the extent that they wouldn't come near anyone who was messy. And so when Jesus shows up and he's a rabbi, who, who are the people that he's going to? He's going to messy people. And he's inviting them to this table where they sit down, where messy people sit down with Jesus at a table and He's freaking the religious people out. He's freaking the Pharisees out because it's like, what is Jesus doing with those people? But those were the very people that he came for. And so he, he gathers them around a table. He brings them together. And we talked about kind of table expectations. Like, man, as we come around the table with Jesus, we can expect that as we bring our messes to the table, so too do other people bring their messes to the table. We have to learn somehow to look to Jesus to navigate how to be at the same table with other messy people. Are you with me? And so if you want to watch more of that, or if you didn't watch it last week, I just encourage you to go back. But today I want to talk about a completely different kind of table. And we're calling the table this week uh, the Sabbath table. And uh, before we dive into this, I don't want to miss this part of the service. I, I want to receive our offering, too. Um, so if our ushers would come forward um, before we dive in. Um, for those of you that give to this place, this mission, what we're a part of, just the church, the movement, the ministry here, thank you so much. Um, and uh, for, for those of you that don't or you're considering it, we would ask that you just prayerfully consider that, no pressure, but we just fully believe in uh, just developing community on mission with Jesus to see everyone transformed and mobilized around here. So um, if we could pray and then uh, we'll continue. Uh, the ushers will pass the offering. But Lord, we, Lord, we just we love coming together. And as we do, uh, we push pause. We all have so many things going on in our lives, in, in every sphere, in our heads. We're all running in different directions sometimes, it feels. But we just ask that you slow us down this morning and remember what you call us to. Uh, remember how uh, Jesus is the source of our salvation. And remember how that affects every area of our life, our relationships. Um, so, Lord, remind us of that this morning. Slow us down as we give, as we serve, as we support your church, and your movement, we just ask that um, you take, you receive what we give, you multiply it, and use it for your purposes. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. As the ushers are passing um, the offering, uh, real quick, something going on right now. They're actually just getting done, but our uh, junior and senior high had a retreat all weekend. We dropped them off on Friday and here's some pictures from our wild retreat over at Lake Ann Camp. Um, and, man, just been praying for our kids over the weekend that they, you know, would just see God in everyday life. I think the theme was, oh, shoot, what's the theme? Uh, hidden in plain sight was the theme. And they were just talking about how that you can see God all around you. And um, so just super excited for the time they had. Uh, can we give a hand to John and Rachel and their team for just the way... That they, 
They invest in the next generation. What I love about that is they, they don't only just invest in the next generation themselves and pull together a team of people that do it with them, but they encourage us to. They inspire us to as a church, that we would be a church that is uh, intergenerational and that we learn how to truly pour into the next generation. Um, so just wanted to, to point that out. It's just so cool. Uh, I think they're coming back here today at some point, but I uh, just wanted to mention that. All right, you ready for a Jesus story? That's, that's two. That's two strikes. Smack dab in the middle of Matthew. Jesus is just in the middle of his ministry, and Matthew's writing, and he's telling us this story of Jesus' life, and he's trying to appeal to the Jewish community. And uh, man, like, Jesus is doing all these things in the book of Matthew. He is healing people. He is uh, feeding people. Like, people are following him. They crave, uh, they crave what he's saying. Uh, he just gave the Sermon on the Mount, and people are following him wherever he's going. And, and, and so, yeah, he just got done feeding 5,000. It said 5,000 men, but it, that didn't count the women and children in those days. So it could have been upwards of ten to 15,000 people. Jesus is feeding them. Jesus is healing them. He's performing miracles. And it's interesting to me because in the middle of Matthew, Jesus is doing all this stuff. He's, he's for people. He's pursuing people. He's going after the messy people that we talked about. And you know what the Pharisees are doing? They can't stop interrupting Jesus' ministry to, to, to talk about what they're against. It's like Jesus is spending all this time trying to be for people, but for some reason during those days, the, the Pharisees were just infatuated, obsessed with what they were against, so they keep coming up to Jesus, pointing out, asking him questions, trying to point holes or what they think are holes in his logic or his teachings. And he turns to the, to the messy people, and he says something that is fascinating, and you may have heard it uh, before, but this is what he says. Sometimes I come back to this verse because I just need to hear it myself. But Jesus says, come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you, can you say that word? Rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. We're going to come back to this word yoke today. Uh, take my yoke upon you and, and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find Rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light, he says. So Matthew starts telling this story. All this ministry stuff is happening. The Pharisees kind of are against Jesus. He looks to the people, the messy people of the day, and he says, come to me, all who are weary and burdened, and, and I will give you rest. My yoke is easy. My burden is light. But then the very next thing that happens is kind of a, a return to kind of a Pharisee situation. Jesus is doing his thing, but the Pharisees come against him, and it, it, it ticks them off. And, and part of me, when I, when I realize that Jesus is ticking off the Pharisees, it's like, all right, what do he do now? Like, does that ever happen to you? You're like, what, how did he, what was he doing? Why was he doing it? Why were they so mad? So this is what John tells us. Right after, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light, Jesus goes on and he says, is that at that time, Jesus went through the grain fields on the Sabbath. His disciples were hungry and began to pick some uh, heads of grain and eat them. When the Pharisees saw this, they said to him, Look, your disciples are doing what's unlawful on the Sabbath. 
And he answered, well, haven't you read what David did when he and his companions were hungry? He entered the house of God. And he and his companions, they ate the consecrated bread, which was not lawful for them to do, but only for the priests. Or haven't you read in the law that the priests on Sabbath duty in the temple desecrate the Sabbath, but they're, they're yet, yet they're innocent? I tell you that something, Jesus says, I tell you that something greater than, this, the, than the, temp, the temple is here. If you had known what these words mean, I desire mercy, not sacrifice. We talked about this last week. Jesus desires compassion. He desires love, not sacrifice, not religious rules, not religious obligations. He desires mercy, not sacrifice. Then you would not have condemned the innocent, for the Son of Man is Lord of the Sabbath. And they're ticked. Pharisees are ticked. They used their religion to suppress and dominate and have power over people. They used their religion to suppress people, to confine people, to try to get people to do what they wanted them to do. And so when Jesus kind of pulls the rug out from under their feet, undermines their religious authority, it drives them bonkers. But Matthew then, he goes on and he tells us another way that Jesus made him mad. So there's two back-to-back stories right next to each other. Some uh, biblical scholars call this parallelism, where it's like he's making a point by doing, saying it twice in a row in a really similar way. So there's this thing about the Sabbath going on, right? There's this, this controversy between Jesus' understanding of the Sabbath and the Pharisees' understanding of the Sabbath. And so Matthew continues to write, going on from that place, he went to their synagogue, and a, and a man... And a man with a shriveled hand was there. Looking for a reason to bring charges against Jesus, they asked him, is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath? He said to them, if any of you have sheep and it falls in a pit on on the Sabbath, will you not take a hold of it and lift it out? How much more valuable is a person than a sheep? Therefore, it is lawful to do what is good on the Sabbath. Then he can you just picture all the Pharisees listening and now watching? And he turns to the man with the crippled hand and he says, stretch out your hand. So he stretched out his hand and it was completely restored, just as sound as the other. But the Pharisees went out and plotted how they might kill Jesus. Now here's something interesting. Jesus is breaking their religious r- rules And then the Pharisees become so mad that they go and conspire to murder. Break one of the Ten Commandments. Like, murder Jesus. It says that Jesus was aware of this, so he withdrew from that place, and a large crowd followed him, and and he healed all who were ill. And a couple things about this scripture. I mean, it starts out by talking about how they were looking for a reason to bring charges against Jesus. Like it wasn't the charge, they didn't see him doing something and then drew a conclusion. They went out looking for him to just do what they might think as a misstep in their eyes. So they're looking for a reason. Jesus is talking about mercy, not sacrifice. They're plotting against Jesus. The question that I have is what is going on with this whole Sabbath thing? Because we seem to have two different perspectives of what Sabbath is. 
The Pharisees have a perspective of Sabbath that's just like rules. You can't do a bunch of stuff on a certain day. And when Jesus doesn't abide by their rules, they are so mad, they want to kill him. It undermines their entire power system. And then Jesus has this comment. The story is also told in Mark. This is what Jesus says in Mark in the same situation. He says that the Sabbath was made for man, not man the Sabbath. Like, Sabbath was a gift given to people. It wasn't something that people had to be subjected to. So there's this question. Why, what is this big deal about Sabbath? Why is this so kind of such a point of contention in this story. And, and in order to understand what the Sabbath table is, we have to go way back to discover why it was created in the first place. Like, how would Jesus have understood Sabbath? Like, why was it created? And so I want to give you a snapshot. I want to go way all the way back to Moses, all the way back to Egypt, and I want to give you a snapshot of the environment the Israelites were in and why Sabbath was created in the first place. Can I do that? So I'm going to read a chunk of scripture here, and it paints a picture of what the Israelites were living in. And out of this, God created Sabbath. But I want you to, I want you to see the conditions that people lived in. So follow along with me. It's, it's kind of a lengthy text, but again, it, it paints a good picture So Moses and Aaron are trying to convince Pharaoh to let people go so they can uh, go out to the wilderness and worship God. And so Pharaoh's response, this is where it kind of enters the story. But the king of Egypt said, Moses and Aaron, why are you taking people away from their labor? Get back to work. Then Pharaoh said, look, the people of the land are now numerous and you are stopping them from working. That same day, Pharaoh gave this order to the slave drivers and the overseers in charge of the people. You are no longer to supply people with straw for making bricks. Let them go get their own stinking straw. But require them to make the same number of bricks as before. Don't reduce the quota. They're lazy. That's why these people are crying out. Let us go and sacrifice to our God. Pharaoh thinks they're lazy for thinking that. Make the work harder for the people so they keep working and pay no attention to the lies. Then the slave drivers and the overseers went out and said to the people, this is what Pharaoh says, I'm not going to give you any more straw. Go get your own straw wherever you can find it, but work will not be reduced. So the people scattered all over Egypt to gather stubble to use for straw. The slave drivers kept pressing them, saying, complete the work required for you of each day, for each day, just as when you had straw. And the Pharaoh's slave drivers beat the Israelite overseers they had appointed, demanding, why haven't you met your quota of bricks yesterday or today as before? Then the Israelite overseers went and appealed to Pharaoh. Why have you treated your servants this way? Your servants are given no straw, yet we're told, make bricks. Your servants are being beaten, but the fault is with your own people. Pharaoh said, lazy. That's what you are, lazy. That's why you keep saying, let us go and sacrifice to the Lord. Now get back to work. You will not be given any straw, yet you must produce your full quota of bricks. The Israelite overseers realized they were in trouble when they were told, you are not to reduce the number of bricks required of you for each day. 
in that culture, the Israelites and the, the Egyptians, their work determined their identity and their self-worth. Their work, what they could produce, directly determined their identity and their self-worth. And so they were driven to produce, to produce, to produce, to get better. The more they could produce, the more valuable they were. Just... This doesn't sound that uncommon, does it? For our identity and our self-worth to be married to our work? I don't think this sounds unfamiliar. Can you just raise your hand if you have some of these? Let me look first. Oh, we got some workers here. My kids call them worker guys and girls. There's this thing that I think was in the Egyptian culture where people's value and self-worth came directly from how much they could produce. In their context, it was bricks build bricks for the Egyptians. And it made them more valuable if they could build more, make more bricks. But in our culture, I think we work in a really similar way. I think in our culture, we marry our identity and our self-worth with our work. Now, it might not be two sawhorses a piece of wood in a toolbox. It could be a computer screen. It could be a database. It could be wherever you work. And the hard part about this is so many times we go to work in order to get something, to get our identity, to get our purpose, to get our self-worth. We go to work, we, we stand at this table or we sit at this table and we busy ourselves because we need something from this table. We need this table to give us something. We need this table to provide something for us that we can't get on our own. So we work and we slave and we keep going to try to to try to nourish our souls in some weird, distorted way. Similar to the Israelites when they were just work harder, work harder, work harder. They, They were in the midst of a system that married together their work and their identity. Maybe, maybe some of us, you know, some of us, it's like our Facebook page or our Instagram page or like we put a version of ourselves out there and, and we'll feel better about ourselves. We'll have more self-worth or we'll feel better about our identity if we get a lot of likes or attention or shares. And so we work really hard. I, I'm going to tell you something. I have struggled with this my entire adult life. For me, I don't know what your work is. I don't know where, where you might struggle with this or where you're finding your identity or, or, or self-worth. But for me, as a, as a pastor, my worth and identity came from my last sermon. 
And so I would try to craft the next sermon or, I'd, or it would be a leadership meeting or some kind of writing or something. Like I was working, but I was, I was working to try to feel better about myself. I was trying to get something. Does anybody else know what I'm talking about? This is where there's an unhealthy relationship between our work and our identity and our self-worth. The more you work, the more important you are. The better you do, the better you feel. What you believe determines how you believe about yourself. There's a direct connection in your head about production and provision. The more you produce, the more you have. It's where you value yourself more if you do more. Or maybe you think other people are going to value you more if you do more. Where, the, where our identity is connected with doing. When I first came to Kensington, it's like two and a half years ago, before that, I was really good. I felt like I was a lot better at taking Sabbath, like removing myself from the work and allowing God to define my identity and self-worth. But the pace was so big, and I was just going so fast, and I just decided, like, man, I'm not going to take time off anymore. I'm just, I'm just going to keep going. And probably for two years, I had an unhealthy relationship with my work and my identity and self-worth. And about six months ago, I started separating myself from this and saying, there's got to be a better relationship there. And I started taking Sabbath. So I take Sabbath on Mondays now. Where I refuse to give in to this temptation of, of endless production. And I started rethinking Sabbath. Like part of me, like I'm more excited about Sabbath now than I've ever been in my life. Because I realized, like, it's at this table that there's this constant demand. Like, this table, this system is so unhealthy, but it dates back all the way to the Egyptians. And what God did with the Egyptians and Israel, he called them out of this system. And he called them to a different way. This is what God said to the Israelites. I'm the Lord and I will bring you out from under the yoke of the Egyptians. I will free you from being slaves to them. I will free you from being slaves to them. And I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and, a mighty, and mighty acts of judgment. I will take you as my own people, and I will be your God. Then you will know that I am the Lord your God who brought you out from under the, can you say that word? Yoke. Remember we just said that word earlier? The yoke of the Egyptians. So we're talking about this, this controversy that Jesus is having with the Pharisees about Sabbath. Sabbath comes out of this endless cycle of production and work, and they were called out of it. And it was a mechanism created not to confine people, but to free people. That's what Sabbath was. And so God gave them this, this day that he called Sabbath to resist this temptation to work. 
to resist it. It was an alternative to this system. And God called them out of it, and he gave them a day. And even when God was providing in the desert, they're in the desert, there's no food, God's providing. He started providing manna. Here's an example of what it says. It says, each morning, everyone gathered as much as they needed, and when the sun grew so hot, it melted away, talking about manna. On the sixth day, they gathered twice as much, two omers for each person. And the leaders of the community came and reported this to Moses, and he said, this is what the Lord has commanded. Tomorrow is to be a, Sabbath, a day of Sabbath rest, a holy Sabbath to the Lord. On the sixth day, he provided enough Sabbath, enough manna for the next day so that they didn't. They refrained from working. He wanted them to pull away from this system of endless work, and he wanted them to sit down. And so it's in this context of Sabbath, this background, this history, where Jesus says, come to me, all who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. And learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. It's like Jesus, as the Pharisees are plotting to kill him, it's like he's turning to the messy people. He's turning to people like you and me, and he's saying, I know you're tempted to work and earn your approval, your acceptance, your self-worth, your identity, but there's another way. There's another table. There's a table that I'm inviting you to where your worth and your identity are defined by me and my love for you. It's a table that you sit at and you find rest. And the thing is, when you go back and you work at that table, you don't do it to get something, you do it to give something. The Sabbath table isn't about rules that restrict. It's about a rhythm and a relationship that refreshes. Does anybody ever feel tired? Where you're just going. Sunday comes, but then Monday's coming, and it's like, oh my gosh, here we go again. And we could stay at that table and exhaust ourselves from the work that piles up or the pressures or expectations that people put on us, around us. But Jesus is inviting us to leave that table and to sit at this table and to find rest. Come to me, all who are weary and burdened. I don't know what's making you weary or burdened, but Jesus is calling you to come to him to find rest, and he's saying, Take his yoke upon you, not the yoke of the endless production cycle. You ever just sit? Put your feet up? Is this wrong of me to do? I feel inappropriate right now. <laughs> Strange. Sometimes you're just working so hard and you just need to find rest. It's a complete shift. We can work till we're blue in the face, but Jesus is inviting us to rest, find rest in him, to get filled up. 
He's not calling us away from work completely. It's just he wants, he wants to be the one that defines us, our identity. He wants to be the one that gives us self-worth, not that table. And so we find rest in him. And we keep, we keep this cycle going. We stop working, we find rest. We stop working, we find rest. And it completely changes the system. What the religious people were doing was they were using Sabbath as just another heavy yoke that they placed upon people and they were missing the entire point of Sabbath altogether. I don't know how this hits you like these stage props, but you're invited to this table and you need to know that you're invited to this table. And that means you have to leave this table. One of the interesting things that Jesus says in John, and it's connected to Sabbath, and it's connected to this, this ancient history with the Israelites and with Egypt. One of the things that Jesus says to his disciples is he says, Very truly I tell you, it's not Moses who gave you the bread from heaven. The bread from heaven is the manna. So now Jesus is re referencing this Old Testament story. It's not Moses who gave you the bread from heaven. It's my father who gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is the bread that comes down from heaven and gives life, life to the world. And then Jesus declared, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never go hungry, and whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. He's saying, he's saying, ultimately, this does not nourish our souls. It's at this table with this belief in Christ. And the imagery is like eating and drinking from him, like this belief in him. He is the only one that can nourish our souls. And so he's calling us away from this table and he's calling us to sit at this table, at the Sabbath table, and find rest. And I don't know, again, I don't know what you're burdened and wearied, wearied by, but he's calling you to rest today. Today you're invited to believe that Jesus can nourish your souls. And so I wanna sing, we wanna sing a couple songs just to instill this, just to get you thinking about this. Again, think about where you are, what you're coming from, what your work cycle looks like, and maybe you find your identity and self-worth from your work. I'm just inviting you to find it from Christ. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for your word. Lord, thank you for this gift that you give us called Sabbath this resistance to this endless pressure to perform, to produce, to work. And Lord, thank you for what you provide for us. You wanna nourish our hearts and nourish our souls. And so Lord, do that today. Individually, as a community, we just pray that your spirit stirs us um, however you lead. And we, we pray this in Jesus' name, amen. You've been listening to the Kensington Church Podcast. 
If you've enjoyed this recording, check back weekly for new content. You can find Kensington on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter, and of course, at kensingtonchurch.org.